Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. That is awesome. Hey. Yeah. I grew up, I mean, some of you don't know me. I have a little bit of an accent because I grew up in another country that doesn't exist anymore, Soviet Union. And that was the country where they tried to eradicate all Christian belief. They, they tried to destroy the church and, like, make the entire country atheist. But the irony was every Easter Sunday, regardless of whether people were atheists or communists or whatever, they would say, Christ is risen. <laughs> and they would hear his reason indeed. <laughs> they couldn't get rid of that somehow. Well, anyway, uh, that's a great honor. When Neil called me and said, hey, I want you to preach on Sunday on the resurrection Sunday morning, I said, Neil, are you sure? Because American pastors don't do that. Senior pastor is supposed to do it. He said, no, I trust you. I want you to preach. So thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. I hope I won't let you down. So I know that culturally, it's, it's, it's a day when a lot of people who usually are not regular at church meetings, they, sometimes they come. And I hope we have people like that today. And I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to remind you what the gospel is. So I will start with, with the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Let us read this, this passage of the Word of God. Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you firmly, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And now he begins to list the main points that the gospel consists of. He gives a succinct outline. What the gospel is. Kind of a nutshell form. So I'm going to present it to you and I'm going to try to unpack every point today. And I'll try to show how it applies to you personally today. Okay? So here they are. He said, here's the gospel. Here's what I preached to you from the beginning. Here's the saving message, the good news. If you hold on to that, you are being saved. And he said, that is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. At the time when Paul was writing, most of them, the witnesses that saw Christ after his bodily resurrection, they were still living. He said, although some have fallen asleep, that a metaphor for physical death, some of them have already passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, beyond 12, by the way. He he mentioned 12 earlier. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to the abnormally born. And in verse 11, he kind of wraps it up and he says, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. If you identify yourself as a Christian today, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. 
This is the saving message of the gospel. Four basic points. Here they are. Christ died for our sins. Second, he was buried. Third, he was raised on the third day. And fourth, he appeared. He appeared for real after his resurrection to specific people. So I'm going to try to unpack these points for you now and see how they apply to us. The first one is that Christ died for our sins. Oh, my goodness. Even when I start speaking about that, I, I just I feel the Spirit of God moving in me. Christ died for our sins. Christ's death for our sins is the most basic fact of the gospel. What sets apart the death of Christ is that it was a deliberate and purposeful sacrifice offered for our sins. You know, everybody dies. Everybody died before Christ. And a bunch of people died after Christ. What sets his death apart is that his death actually was purposeful, intentional, and it's connected to you. It was done on your behalf. It was done in direct relation to your condition, inner condition that the Bible called sin. We'll talk about it later. It, it has something to do with your heart's attitudes. The Bible calls it perverse, sinful heart. And it has to do with the specific things that you've done in your life that you're, you're ashamed of, that the Bible calls sins. And don't worry. If you're a first-timer in this church, we're not playing guilt cards here. We're actually here to set you free from your guilt and shame, all right? But it can be done through the word of the gospel, through this word of his death on your behalf. His death was different because, you know, it's re directly related to you. You see, we all have problems. You came today, and I don't know where you are in your life, but I know you have problems in life. Neil, you have problems in life. I have problems in life. Houston, we got problems, you know. But it, and you, you usually think, well, it, it, I, if I could just solve this problem, my life would become just wonderful. No, it won't. Because another problem will come and another problem will come. And if you dig deep and if you remove the layers of this problem, you will find the root problem, which is sin, which is alienation from God. Which is something that we inherited from our forefathers, from our ancestors, from Adam and Eve. It's like a hereditary disease. But it's so active and so aggressive. It's like a tumor that eats up your entire being. And the time comes when it's like beyond cure. It becomes you. You become it. And every time, every new generation that was born with this condition actually gets worse. It, it's very aggressive. It, it, it evolves. And we got to the point when it looks beyond recovery. So sin, I want you to know, sin is not just a violation. Of, it's not just a religious term. It's not just a violation of some religious norms. No, it's a condition. It's a condition. And you don't get to choose it. You're born with this. What, it does, it, what does it do to people? It separates people from God. No matter how hard they try, they try different religions, they try different philosophies, they will remain isolated, separated, alienated. 
It defiles their conscience. That's why they cannot reconnect with God. It makes their hearts perverse. It, it makes them, listen to me, it makes you and me, when we are born into this world, self-centered, self-seeking, manipulating, conniving creatures. And when these kind of people try to live together, it sets up everyone for a life of suffering, misery, and evil. Can't you see it around? If you don't watch news, I mean, I, I don't watch news. But if you want to, like, uh, is that really that bad? Turn on the news. <laughs> or remember the things that make you blush and feel ashamed that you've done or said. So, listen to me. I'll remind you that originally we are created different. We are created to, to be loved. We're created to give love. We're created to live in the light and to be light. We are created according to the image and likeness of God, the Bible says. Just like a glove created according to an image and likeness of a hand to express God. To be God's expression on this earth. To manifest and exhibit God's goodness and His glory. But something happened. The theologians called it the fall. Adam sinned. He, he plunged us into this condition. And now instead of manifesting God, we manifest something else. Instead of being light, we become darkness. And that's the condition the world is in. The book of Romans puts it this way. In 3.23 it says, All, all people have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's the fact. Biblical fact. And the worst thing was that we couldn't return to God. I mean, a lot of people through the history wanted to reconnect, wanted to return. But they couldn't. You cannot pull yourself out of this pit. So what happened? God said, I will become a man. I will become a man, and as a man, I will fully identify with their condition, with this horrible condition. God himself, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, said, I will identify. I will absorb all the evil that has developed in them. I will take all the consequences of their sinful actions. I will receive all the pain, all the shame, all the hatred, all the rejection. I will even assume their alienation and separation from God. I will take it all upon myself and I will hand myself over to be betrayed, to be rejected, to be despised, to be humiliated, to be stripped off my clothes, to be brutally beaten, scorched, mocked, put to utter shame, and finally to be executed by one of the most horrendous ways invented by mankind, crucifixion, a long and difficult death replete with excruciating pains of all sorts. On that cross, he said, I will take your ultimate experience of alienation from God, the toll of you experienced in your conscience, so that you can be reunited with God. Do you remember when the humankind first got so perverse that God said, I'm going to destroy it with the water flood, and the flood came? But then he redeemed them. And you know what the sign he gave? He gave them a rainbow. And the rainbow is like a bow that he put on the wall, some theologians believe. But I believe, you know what happened? 
he showed, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot myself on your behalf. Christ Jesus died. He didn't just die. He died for your sins. This is, this is the good news of the gospel. Listen to that. Isaiah 53, 2 through 7 says, it's in Old Testament, but the prophet speaks of Christ. Listen to that. He says, he had no form, speaking of Christ, he had no form or majesty that we look at him. There was nothing attractive in his physical appearance. He had no beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, listen to that, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. People thought God is punishing him, and God was kind of punishing him, but listen to that. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Listen. He truly died for you. He died for you. For your sin. For my sin. For our sin. For our iniquity. So uh, you heard me and Neil speak. He didn't just die on behalf of us. He died as us. He identified himself. So this cross... That represents his cross. And his cross is not really his cross. It's your cross. Amen, the baby said. <laughs> so the next point in this list is he was buried. And like you say, why, why in the world is this in, in the list of things that are supposedly important in the gospel? Listen, buried means he was really, really, really dead. You know? Revelation 1, 17, 18 says, When John saw him after resurrection, he was so frightened. He fell at his feet. And Jesus said, he, he stretched out his right hand. He put it on John and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. We Christians, we're used to phrases like, Jesus is alive, or Jesus is the Son of God. He's God Himself, which is true. But sometimes we, we tend to think that His humanity is like not real. It's like a fake humanity. It's like, you know, He put on a costume. No, He became a man to redeem us. And His death was not a fake death. It was a real death. And the burial is like the proof of that reality. In fact, in the light of what I just said, that he took all the sin of the world, his death actually was 
so to speak, the deadliest death of all, the worst death that could ever happen to a human being. The process of dying was horrendous on all possible levels. If I would just read you a pieces of article from medical magazine, some doctors in America actually studied what happens to human body, emotions, like oxygen level, all aspects of it, half of you would probably faint through half of the article. It was horrendous. But the worst thing for him was not that. The worst thing for him was when he quoted Psalm 22 on the cross, bleeding, struggling for air. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The most valuable thing that he ever had in his life, this nearness to God. He said, I live by my Father. I only do what I see my Father do. I only do what I hear my Father do. He's my, he's my source of life. I live by Him. In His experience, it was taken from Him. It's a, it's, a, it's a mystery. We know that God the Father and God the Son can never be separated. But in His ex human experience, He identified with us so much that He absorbed this horrible sense of rejection that every human being experienced, accumulated by the number of people that has ever been born and will ever be born in this world. Can you imagine that? It's way more than the physical sufferings. He took it for you and me. And it took three days and three nights to deal with the sin of the world. Three long days. When he just died, there was a natural question in some of his followers like, is that it? Maybe we need to wait. Maybe something's going to happen. So they waited 10 minutes. No, he, he was dead. He flatlined. His heart stopped. His lungs stopped inhaling and exhaling. His nerve system shut down. He sank into darkness. His soul went into Sheol. Sheol is a place when the souls of dead people were taken. We're not going to go into details there. There were a section for ungodly and a section for godly, but it's not good anyway. It's not a real life. So his body remained in the tomb. An hour passed by, nothing happened. A couple of hours passed by. And a Roman soldier came to make sure these guys are dead. And Jesus was already dead. So he decided to double, to make sure, to, to, to double check that he's a, he, he took a spear and he pierced his side. And most likely the doctors say that the spear went through his, in between his ribs and right into his heart. And the bunch of blood and the transparent bodily fluid came out testifying that he was dead. How dead he was, he was dead. Irreversible. As his body was taken from the cross, and then he was buried. That's part of the gospel. He was buried. And you know, by day three, even if some faith remained in some of the disciples, by day three, there was nothing left. All faith was dead. If you read carefully the scripture, 
you will see that his disciples that were so enthusiastic, that had so much hopes, that gave everything, left everything behind to follow him, they were shattered. They were devastated. His ministry generated so much love, so much hope, so much anticipation. It took people so high in their spirit, and then it felt like something horrible has happened. Something went horribly wrong. So the, 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 the faith of those disciples had to be resurrected as well. I call it three-day period great suspense. But it was, it was, you know, a good speech can have a good pause to accentuate something, right? And if this pause is taken a little too long, it becomes awkward. But if you take it even longer, it kind of ruins the whole point of speech. That would happen when he was in grave for three days. By day three, it was like, it's a nonsense. What just happened? We're, we're fools. We put all of our chips on this guy, Jesus, and we thought he is it, and he's not it. We see some women coming to his tomb, and they still have love for him, but not love, not love as for someone alive. They come to see the corpse. There's love there, but there's no faith there. It's a good news to people. You don't need to generate faith in you because he is risen indeed. It's not that your faith pulled him out. Your faith has nothing to do with this. <laughs> Aren't you glad? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I, I got this point, I hope. The third point, and that's the point of today. He was risen on the third day. And we sang about it today, right? So the suspense was over. This awkward suspense that took too long was over. You know what? It worked. The testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus was, remember the testimony? Here, behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Every time an offering for sins were made in the Old Testament, you need to somehow know that God accepted that. You need to know whether it worked or no. You know? When I was a kid, I, I liked photography. How many of you have developed your own film here? CCs. Oh, this lady did it. Wonderful. Your sister did uh, But let me tell you, you probably did it American way. Like you, you took a picture and you probably took it to a... See, that, oh, you actually did the chemical stuff? And, oh, hardcore, baby. That's like, that's the real stuff. I respect. <laughs> like, but let me tell you, Soviet style, it was even worse. I had to bundle like jacket and like make sure sleeves are sticking out. So I was taking a picture. Between the time I took a picture and the time I actually could be sure that some shots turned out okay, it was a long and difficult process. I was sweating and I was in a dark closet trying to do stuff and putting the chemicals and like the temptation was to pull around and see if there are any shots and like, oh, it would ruin the film. So I had to exercise patience. Well, long story short, it was such a relief every time you finished and you pull it out and say, yes, it worked. You know, that's one of the aspects of the resurrection of Christ. He's, he came with all these messianic claims. He came with all these testimonies that this is the Lamb of God. He's going to take care of your biggest fundamental root problem between you and God. 
And he did. But we didn't know whether it worked or not. And he rose on the third day. And this is the seal of approval and the ultimate sign of acceptance of the sacrifice of death. So you have no right today to remain in your sins if you believe in Christ. You have no right to receive any shame and guilt from anybody because Christ has applied the blood of Christ to you personally. Christ has died for you. He was buried. He stayed dead for three long days. Everything negative in your life has been dealt with. And then he rose again. And it shows that God accepted his sacrifice. And that means that now you can come to God. Not based on what you do or don't do, but based on what Christ has done. And God receives you as he would have received Jesus Christ himself. That's a good news. Okay, I hope you're, he you're hearing what I have to say today. All right? So it worked. It, it has definitely worked. And the book of Romans actually says he was delivered over to death for our sins. And listen to that. And he was raised to life for our justification. What are the implications of that? God is for us today. Don't you ever think that God is against you? Don't you ever think that God is like blames you for something? Or try to take you into account for some sins that you have created? God is for you. God is for you today. God is for you. Thanks to Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is the ultimate sign that God is for you today. You know, you do, he gives you breastplate of righteousness. You know what the breastplate does? It covers your heart. It protects your heart. Let me give you a little self-test that you can try on yourself. Every time you receive some kind of a critique, do you get defensive? I do sometimes. Neil does. You know what it means? We forgot about our breastplate of righteousness. We still try to gauge our intrinsic value by what people have to tell about us, which is a false way to gauge your value. Your true value, intrinsic value, is determined not by what people have to say about you, but what price someone is willing to pay for you. And the price that God himself was willing to pay for you is the life of his son. Are you hearing me? That's your intrinsic value. So you should become like Teflon, shameless. You can critique me all you want, and I can take notes and do something to get better maybe, but I'm not going to say that, yeah, I'm a worthless human being. No, I'm a valuable, beloved son of God in Christ Jesus. You are the same way. Don't you ever gauge your value based on what you feel or what people have to say. Look at the cross. Look at the death of Christ. Look at his burial. Look at his resurrection, right? And there is another aspect of resurrection. So you made clean. You've been made clean by the, by the blood of Christ, by his cross. And the resurrection is a sign of that. There's another aspect of resurrection. In 1 Peter Here's what Peter says. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. Listen to that. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he shows 
that Christ's resurrection, just like his cross, is also yours. It's, apl it's applicable to you, and it's instrumental. It was instrumental to impart you with new life. So he washed you clean, squeaky clean, not just to be squeaky clean. Why do you wash your clothes? Hey, listen, to wear them, genius. <laughs> why, 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 do you, why do you clean your car inside and outside? To drive it. Why do you clean your plates? Yeah. And cups to eat from it and drink from it. Why does God clean you? To fill you with His Spirit. To give you life. To make you partaker of life eternal, indestructible. To fill you with Himself. You are a vessel. And now you're a clean vessel. To be filled with Him. I don't know. This is, this is awesome. That's one of the things that actually Neil and I preach. That's part of our message. We believe that you don't get, you know, you are made clean in order to receive the Spirit of Christ. To become His child, to be born of God, to be able to receive His unconditional love and call Him Abba. Remember what Abba means? Daddy. Not just father. Daddy. Dad, Daddy, my daughter, my little daughter runs to me and just says, Daddy, hi, Dad, bye, Dad, I love you, Dad. That's the relationship. Like, she doesn't try to, like, even figure out, do I deserve to be called the daughter of this man? No. It's Daddy. Why? Because, I mean, look at her. She's got my nose. You got God's nose. You got his eyes. You ask his little face. I mean, it's like a little miniature of him. He looks at you and says, ah, he's just like me. Ah! That's how it all starts. Thanks to Jesus, to the gospel. So what we are preaching, Neil and I, we are preaching in this church. That's the great news that you can live in a real and sweet fellowship with God today because of Jesus. You can interact with him. You can talk to him. He can talk back to you. You can experience. You can have experiential encounters like we, we've seen on the video with him in this life. And you can grow in these things. In this life, in this life, on this earth, you can be a person who can know God closely and intimately. Experientially. You see, intellectual knowledge about God is useful, but it's very limited. So if, if you go to church where only hear lectures with some information about God... It won't take you far. You need to be ushered into the experiential reality. All right? And the third aspect of, the, of his resurrection is that actually we're going to be raised one day. We're going to pass. You know, death has been dealt with. It doesn't have a sting anymore. It can hiss all it wants, but it, it became a little servant that takes us into the presence of God. You know, I'm ordained minister, but I, I'm bivocational. I work in a warehouse, refrigerated warehouse with rough guys. I don't look big enough to be among them, but they love me anyway. <laughs> so we, we get tons of cases coming down conveyor lines, and those cases come in batches. And every time I see a case, I look at the label, and I see the number of a batch. And every time the next case comes, I know what batch this case belonged to. I'll tell you something. If you study theology of Paul, he believes that the resurrection of Christ was the first 
case of the, of the same batch. You belong to the same batch. Paul calls him first fruits of the harvest. When Israelites would harvest their crops, they would take the very first bunch and take it to the Lord as a representation of all of the harvest of that year. Christ has, been, has risen as the first fruit, and you and I are the harvest. So we have hope beyond this life. I've been a pastor. I've been a pastor who, who did pastoral care for a couple of years, and a lot of I've been to hospitals and conducting funerals and stuff like that. And a lot of people have, they think like when person, Christian person dies, he immediately reaches the fullness and the perfect state. That's not true biblically. He is in the presence of God, but he or she is not going to be ahead of us. On the day of the bodily resurrection, we will reach the point of fullness together with everybody who passed away in Christ Jesus. We're not going to go into details. There. Well, that's, that's uh, about this point. And the final point is kind of... Uh, and we, we sang this song. I, I, I can't skip this quote. Uh, we sang it today. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. And we know now that sin has been dealt with on the cross of Christ. So death has no more sting. It has no more authority. And the final thing, final point. And I want Neil to come here and be ready to, to wrap it up with me and to lead us into the time of ministry, whatever we feel like doing. But... The final point is he appeared to specific people. And you would say, Dennis, why is that important, like, in the light of this eternal truth of the gospel? Like, he just lists a bunch of people that he appeared. Well, first of all, I want you to know that he's been appearing to them in different places for about 40 days. 40 days is more than a month. He's been appearing to them not as a ghost, not as an apparition. He was appearing to them in a bodily form. He would interact with them. They would be able to see and touch his scars. He would eat with them. He would have conversations with them. He would ask them questions. He would correct their thing. He was engaged in a full interaction with them. But it was weird because he would pop up in the middle of the room when all the doors are closed, and he would kind of disappear. And why was he doing that? He was retraining them. He was retraining them to know that he's truly risen and he's with them whether they see him or not. They don't have to, to find where he is in Israel and go there and be there to follow him. Now all they need to do is stick together and talk about Jesus and he would, boom, pop up. <laughs> he would show up. He would manifest himself. Hint for you, right? The second one is, the second aspect is that the testimony of these people became part of the testimony of the scripture that we can rely upon. You see, the reason it's important because our feelings are volatile. I can experience God today in a very real and vivid way. A month from now, it can fade away and I can begin to doubt. I have a scripture that I can rely upon in those moments. And the final one, if you study those cases carefully, you would see that it was always in the context of their life and fellowship together. You're never saved for your own sake only. Christ reveals himself in bits and pieces to members of the community of faith called church. He builds the body of Christ today. He doesn't build your individual life only.
And how is the body of Christ built? The body, it says, built itself in love. That means if Joe has experience of God, he brings his portion and it lifts me up and encourages me. His faith stirs my faith up. My faith stirs his faith up. The body builds itself in love. You are not called to be alone in your Christian walk. You are called to be part of the community of faith. If you want to experience the fullness of manifestation of His resurrection power, you need to attach yourself to a family of God on this earth, all right? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.